So, shall we continue? Because we've been talking for an hour. Ish? Ish. I can make a really long song. <laughs> can, we, can we do 10 minutes not about politics? So that I have a good clean open. <laughs> something, something safe. Um, just depending on how it goes. Because again, this isn't going to be released for like another two weeks. So, uh, mummies, ooh. I think I've got a pretty good one here. How did you guys spend Halloween? That's topical in November. So here's the thing. I mentioned earlier, you know, some good things about the suburbs. One of which is the Halloween here is on point. Like people do up their yards, people do haunted houses in their yards. Like they'll make like haunted trails through their yard. and like people do vignettes and scenes. And obviously this year was much more toned down. Luckily, everybody's wearing masks. We started a little bit earlier because we assumed correctly so that uh, people would be kind of in their quarantine groups and then you'd go and like just wait for the next group in front of you to get done and then go up and get some candy. Obviously my two-year-old uh, hot three, uh, this was quite possibly the first Halloween he'll remember. But you know, it was something we've been kind of building up a little bit. He was very excited about wearing his costume. He wanted to go as Darth Vader, of course. This is the same kid who wakes me up every morning with a lightsaber, thrusts it into my hand, grabs one of his own and says, fight daddy. So then I also oh, yeah. had to dress uh, up as Darth My Vader. oldest was a, a stormtrooper and my youngest was Batman. Very fine lineage. Like I haven't had one clone that wasn't Batman yet for a Halloween since they were eligible. It was, it's, it's awesome, go on. So we then started making our way down the neighborhood and we avoided all the crowds and it got to the point where my oldest was like, I want to go down that busier stretch. And of course, you know, wearing masks, we all have our masks underneath our costumes, right? So we're either wearing a costume with a mask like Darth Vader and I've got my mask on underneath. Or in the case of Ha One, he went as a ghoulish apparition of death and uh, he had his mask on underneath his mask. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm actually comfortable. I'm confident that we can, so like we're outside, we can observe safe social distancing. We're wearing our masks. Uh, we could do this. And it, we were not disappointed. You know, there are a couple of streets in the neighborhood where Halloween isn't just a night, it's an experience. And I appreciate that. Like as someone who is in events, when you treat your lawn as an event, you're doing it right. You have my respect. It was really interesting. Uh, we did put on masks and, uh, you know, go down the main drag for just a hot second, kind of scope it out. And then we came home and because I've like smart lights set up to the house now, uh, we had a lot of fun with color and then uh, we played trick or treat hide and seek. So oh, that's fun. Uh, yeah, all the, the clones got together uh, behind like one, like in a central place in the house behind like, you know, a bunch of doors. Uh, and then, uh, you know, mom and I and Gigi all went and uh, hid in various ways. Uh, and the kids came and found us and we threw candy at them. Um, because it was our candy that we bought. Like, of course, I got the good stuff. And what's really funny is uh, they left Gigi in the closet for like five minutes. Like, R. Kelly time in the closet. Like, Gigi, get out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> no! How about you, man? Ah, 
the entire time you were talking, I was listening, but at the same time, there was a voice in the back of my head saying, make a dead puppy joke, you were at work. But... (laughs) There's your cold open. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, when did dead puppies become part of our brand? Like, I think that's a thing now. (laughs) I don't want it to be. And, and to tie it to the episode, Doc used dead puppies as a level of sadness he felt when he got an animated clip back and he saw how bad the head was falling off and he's like, I was like, dead puppy sad. And I was just like, yes, he uses dead puppies as a reference. We can continue to do this and not feel bad. Uh, it's canon. Gotta love Halloween. Happy November. <laughs> Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. Well, shall we begin by welcoming all of our favorite listeners to today's very special episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. I am one of your many hosts, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, the Baron Beast Labode. And we are joined, as always, by our resident denizen of dinner theater, the Vaude Villain, a man for whom, insert clever scenery joke. Abracadabra. That's what she really... said. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. The man who smokes abracadabs. <laughs> uh, let's see. The bod villain. Um, a man who had... Okay, and this one actually ties into the episode. Uh, a man who has stolen Kreskin's paycheck. <laughs> Boom. Uh, how about a man who doesn't have to say anything to anyone in blackface because he's already told them twice? Is that too on the nose about the old school vaudeville shows? I think you went back too far. I think you went to minstrel shows. Yeah, well, remember, like, vaudeville included some of the minstrel elements. Yeah. Well, I I mean, of course, like, you know, that's... Judy Garland, dude. Judy Garland. Well, are you, what, are you going to play the banjo and sing, man? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, um, it's okay for you, but not for me. (laughs) So today we are going to be looking at an episode that aired on July 16, 2006. Escape to the House of Mummies, part two, the dramatic follow up to what is quite possibly my favorite episode of the Venture Brothers, like Escape to the Mummies, the House of Mummies, part one was just and so few people have seen it like that's like and no one knows where to find it. Uh, I was lucky enough. In fact, Beast, when, when you saw Escape to the House of Mommies Part 1, you, did you realize how special it was? 
I mean, really, I didn't. Uh, I thought it was weird that it was on uh, Laserdisc, of all things. But at the same time... <laughs> I thought it was weird that it came on microfilm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, after I had seen it, I, I got this weird letter from the Egyptian government about, like, a cease and desist on the episode. Because uh, mummies don't live in houses. Oh, I, I think it was a cyst and deceased. <laughs> I didn't get a cease and desist. I got an assist the deceased. <laughs> ah. And then we were in the mommy business. <laughs> <laughs> and that's enough of that. So, uh, Vod, we begin with a quick recap in this episode of Escape to the House of Mummies, part one. Can you run us through the glory of part one? We do get the the, the classic snippets uh, as the opening pre-credits here. We've got the, the, I guess you can call him the antagonist that we have for the episode, the guy in the bird uh, mask. Their interactions, the, uh, the occult members, is some of the greatest... I, I don't want to call him like the head and then like his henchman, but just like that, those interactions that we get that there. The dynamic was there. Yeah, the dynamic that you had, you could just tell that like it was almost like a, a Dwight Jim kind of a vibe almost, where like someone thinks that they're kind of like assistant to the manager, <laughs> but you're all really kind of all on the same rung in the bullpen here. Yeah. Uh, there were so many just like little momentary touches where you're like, is this a legit outfit? They're, I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere and I, I'm going to forget the country that they're in, but it's just, ah, they ground it so well. <laughs> <laughs> but so we get uh, this opening montage where we go cutting through, uh, we get introduced to our evil people. Uh, I, I, I cult people, I guess we're going to call them. Dr. O seems to take them seriously a little later on. So I'll give them some credibility. But we get kind of introduced to the uh, bizarre assortment of characters that we're going to have throughout the episode. We've got uh, Caligula. We've got Ho. No, no. It, it, who's? I, I feel like I can explain Caligula and Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, but Caligula, whom you may or may not know, was one of the Julio-Claudian emperors. He was one of the guys uh, in charge of the Roman Empire after uh, Julius Caesar and Augustus and Tiberius and Drusus Claudius Nero. Like, and Caligula was famous for being crazy, right? Like, if you think of the most depraved guy you can possibly think of in the Roman Empire, it's Caligula. The guy who made his horse a senator, like, he married his sister, he thought he was Zeus, like, uh, just a crazy guy. And Edgar Allan Poe, America's first great writer as such from Baltimore, like, these are historical figures, well, I mean, of course, uh, Freud shows up. And I, I, the thing I think is also um, interesting about Caligula, I, I think this is also kind of a an underhanded film reference. Caligula being like, you know, one of those film school uh, pretentious masterpieces of cinema. And I mean, I've seen it all the way through once and it was weird. But Helen Mirren and Peter O'Toole, that's a thing, you know. It, uh, it, I think to date, it is the only porno that has gotten a a four star rating well i mean it uh, here's the thing is like is it porno just because they they showed the sex and the people are actually having sex yes like (laughs) (laughs) 
okay, I mean, Mr. MPAA. <laughs> right. I mean, I call that method acting. Like, uh, and there's a lot of method actors in the adult industry. No, I mean, I think the, the difference really is budget. Uh, when was the last time you got an Oscar winner or like future Oscar winner, like to sit in like a porno? With like I don't know, uh, 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 easily. I mean, I don't want to say Caligula had like a huge budget, but clearly it had like you know at least tens of millions of dollars. When was the last time you like you heard of anybody spending tens of millions of dollars to like make a porn? Now it's everything's OnlyFans, and you buy like your fucking selfie stick at Walmart with like you know your ring light and no 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 you, know, you put it on your porch outside your house right. <laughs> and dance in the yard <laughs> right i mean it's there's and especially with covid there's a whole cottage industry to like you know porning at home everybody's a porn director now like yeah i mean if you've got a smartphone you've directed porn <laughs> but like I don't want to say like you've directed Peter O'Toole. You know what I mean? Like I don't oh, think those that, are the same. That thing. was back when uh, he was er- like he showed why you put the O on O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> he puts both the O and the tool. So uh, that that's a thing that happened, and uh, we've got Edgar Allan Poe. We've got uh, we've got Sigmund Freud, the famous psychoanalyst, the man who invented psychoanalysis. Um, and well, and my favorite like, thing about this opener is the 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 tropes that they cover, right? So, like in in one scene, you see them trying to uh, like in the opener scare some of the Egyptian quote unquote natives by like you know, sitting on Brock's shoulders and Doc's waving a flashlight, and he's like, it's just a flashlight, get him. They went Dread Pirate Roberts, which I love. (laughs) Um, The throwing the gun thing. Yeah. That was was funny. We have more bullets, you know, you have to stop doing that. I know, it just looks so cool. We'll go get it. Fine. (laughs) Right, like, I mean, they covered, like, they lampooned a lot of, uh, you know, kind of generic 60s and 70s cartoon tropes of the era. And, like, I mean, a lot of it hinges on it, like, as we see later on. Like, we'll we'll, we'll touch on some stuff. But, like, the, the opener uh, before the credits itself is, is gold. It's, it's amazing, you know, calling back. And it's comedic brilliance to call back to an episode that, you know, uh, hasn't aired to the general public, and it is now the the venture version of the Snyder Cut uh, hashtag uh, release House of the Mummies Part One and Part Three and Part Three. That's all the same hashtag. No, no, make it two separate ones. Hashtag and Part like, Three. Like honestly, <laughs> you know what it is? It's Spaceballs Three: The Search for Two. <laughs> Underpants gnomes, man uh profit but no uh you, you get a lot of great stuff and then the the whole episode is just so bizarre um and you cover some tropes and they worked in an amazing like plot through this like you know essentially flashback episode and it, the, just the subject matter like the whole 
shrinking and then that is a me- well we'll get there it, it'll be a great time guys trust me my hat said so my hat said so in a row i love a visual gag on radio it's like a shared secret <laughs> right <laughs> like and i'm pretentious as fuck i'm assuming you are listening to me on your car radio even though i know for a fact, I, I am being heard on, on multiple desktops. Like, I can see those statistics. Um, so. You know, this has got me wondering now. Wonder, yes, they is- do mute the anime and then put your voice on it. And then. <laughs> well, it's got me wondering, what is it that people are doing when they're listening to us? Like, somebody's like, you know what? I'm going to go take a nice four-hour hike today. <laughs> like, I'll just pop on this most recent episode of Conjectural Technologies. Singular episode. <laughs> and just let the soothing sounds of this brocious dynamic work its way through my medulla oblongata lady, yo. You know, uh, something we could do in a few months uh, if, if this all just goes even farther tits up than the show getting canceled. Uh, we'll just... I'll rebrand this as a sleeping podcast. Like we'll just help you get to sleep. <laughs> so, when it comes to how this episode begins, this episode's beginning is unique among the entire pantheon. Like we've talked a couple of times about what some of our favorite opening episodes are, or episode openings are. And of all the openings from the Venture Brothers, this is truly unique because we get a whole lot of stuff for an episode that doesn't exist. And they do a very good job of setting us up for a completely different episode that is just riffing off of the stuff we didn't get. And the, the episode we get is full of inside jokes for things we haven't been exposed to yet. <laughs> so you are oh, kind yeah. of playing catch up the whole time. And in fact, it, let's put it this way. This is quite possibly the most epic Venture Brothers episode. In that, remember, every epic begins in media res, right? In the middle of things. So we are picking up in the middle of things. Do we get an invocation to the muse or the god who's going to help us? I think we do. This might tick off all the characteristics of an epic, and you just didn't notice it. Well, and I'll be honest with you, uh, this is actually some high comedy mechanics as well. Um, Just like you mentioned, there's a bunch of inside jokes that we haven't been let into, right? But what that does is serve as a, uh, you know, counter lever to absurdity, right? (laughs) Now we have, you know, all of these things out of context and you're just like, this is (laughs) fucking great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, that's... uh, that's some harvard level fucking like you know cartoon humor motherfuckers name one other cart like like show that can give you caligula bill and ted's like excellent adventure and like every like 60s kind of uh exotic exploitation like indiana jones caligula bill and ted's excellent adventure and like i mean uh the princess bride like yeah. you're getting all of that in the yeah. first like 45 seconds. And to say nothing of Chester A. Arthur's time machine. And to say nothing <laughs> of Chester A. Arthur's time machine. Malcolm? 
So, I wonder what's going to happen with that. Apparently nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> we'll find out yesterday. <laughs> so we get our opening credits. Uh, we're in the Hall of Sorrows. As Dr. Venture kicks the skeleton the that the hall isn't very impressive. It's more like a basement. Dean, meanwhile, is attempting to squirm into a hole and failing. <laughs> Dr. Venture gives it a try, but the walls of the hall grow spikes and get a close on on them. The team needs a plan. They need one now. Hank suggests calling Dr. O. Dr. Venture refuses at first, but finally gives in when Brock starts to give the boys pointers on how to align the spikes with their brain or heart so they die quicker. <laughs> Well, and I, okay, uh, this is like a legit parenting moment. Have you had this moment? Like, all right, kids, you just sit there and finish all your cold food, or like, so, like that extreme uh, parenting gesture, like when you know your partner is being irrational or stubborn. Oh, oh, I guess this is the same thing as like, uh, Doc won't stop and ask for directions in this moment, metaphorically speaking. So Brock is like, oh, okay, kids. So I guess just pee all over the seats. Like, he's not going to stop for the bathroom. Like, you know, oh, well, here's a couple of bottles. Like, it's a very, like, je ne sais quoi co-parenting moment. There are some really interesting parenting moments that take place during this. So uh, he eventually convinces <laughs> Dr. V to reach out to Dr. O. Dr. O answers, Dr. Orpheus, Master of Mysticism. Uh, Orpheus, it's your landlord. We're trapped in a cliche. Use your fake impossible magic to get us out of here. And Dr. O's like, what? Oh, Mr. Venture, I don't think I can do that. Well, what can you do? Well, let's see. I could astral project myself there. Yeah, that's it. Super. Yeah, come on and watch us die. Spiked walls are closing in and you want to put on a puppet show. Hold on a sec. And then he turns around. Hank, get off those spikes. It's not a ride. And of course, what does Hank say? Aww because Spank was, uh, Spank, Hank was riding one of the spikes. Dr. Orpheus says, spiked walls, how fast? And like, just the level of inside baseball happening here. Slower <laughs> than haunted house spiked walls, but not quite as slow as evil scientists spiked walls. Like, we have a range, okay? Uh, oh, whoa, good. No. where do you think trash compactor spike walls? Like, on, on the trash compactor level, like, yeah, wh I, wh where do you think those fit on the, the scale? I mean, I uh, faster than haunted house spike walls. I think. Yeah, Fair more enough. efficient. You don't want to be in the trash compactor. That's like probably one of the. That's like right next to like your worst arch enemy spike walls. Yeah, like like, like trash compactors. How they kill Shredder? Like, <laughs> like that. Like Splinter don't play around you. Like, uh, spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from thirty years ago, it's coming back into theaters. What? You're bringing it back. I'm going. I'm totally going. I got oh. a relationship with that film. Uh, oh, me too, man. So, uh, Dr. Orpheus is like, good, Dean, can you hear me? And Dean's like, yes, Dean, picture my daughter naked. Think of her as yours. The look on Dean's face. Dr. Venture says, look, you lunatic, stop worrying about inheriting my estate and get us out of here. <laughs> Daughter says, Venture family, you must trust me, Dean. Think only of my daughter kissing you, kissing you on the mouth. Think harder, boy. She's using her tongue. Dean squirms and Orpheus shouts, There, I have located you. 
Dr. Orpheus utters his spell. The spike walls begin to shake. Dean glows a pretty blue and is flung into a non-spike wall. Hank passes out. Dr. Venture and Brock hold their heads. It's over after a second. Dr. Venture escapes through the, quote, hole before Dean wakes up crying. He'll be back later with expensive crap to get them all out of there. Uh, parenting? <laughs> hashtag parenting. There's a lot of hashtag parenting there. Uh, yeah. Okay, like, starting from the top. Uh, so, clearly uh dr o has made peace with the fact that he has an attractive daughter like as a father and here's the thing is as the 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 progenitor of two clones that are both uh directly like you know of my visage uh no no you know lady beasts walking around so to speak uh which would be awful looking I, I don't know how I could do that. Like, uh, if I had a if I had a daughter that was, quote unquote, conventionally attractive, and you know, basically like inspire erections in other males, I don't know how I like how I process that. I'm glad I don't have to. But here, Doctor O is using that as some sort of weird tool, like to to hone in on on his daughter, like why why is he trying to like you know yes think about making out with my daughter and like or oh oh shit is this like a protection spell well and again this is like oh oh my god i just got like okay i think i just processing the joke he's thinking about this is what (laughs) okay i get it now this is genuine revelation um a la the thing I was saying and not being able to pro- he hasn't processed this shit. This is in fact a mechanism. So then when boys try to like make out with his daughter, he can stop. Yeah. Yeah, no, like not only will it stop, I think it's like an automatic thing, like the magic just boom, and then like there's an electromagnetic pulse that like stops all things. Uh and then it knocks them out. Like, it's a magical chastity like belt. Out. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, he's able to hone in on that and locate the Venture Brothers. So That's why Dr. O is the fucking man. As soon as someone starts thinking impure thoughts about his daughter, he gets to sneak in and shazam them. Like, that is dadness to the max right there. Right. Well, and then, okay, there's... Moving down the list now. Uh, sorry, like I, I had a moment to myself there. And you took this all along for the ride. <laughs> so uh, then there's Venture crawling through the hole and criticizing the whole time. Like, what do you need? Like a, a roadmap to being a boy adventurer? Like crawl through the hole? Like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like criticizing the, the shit he's pu- like pulling his kids through while complaining that he was pulled through this same shit. Yeah. Uh, what was it? If you want something right done right, I have to do it. Like, yeah, that's that's great for your kids to hear. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't have kids, but I'm assuming that would be a shitty thing for me to say in front of them. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't say things like that in front of my kids because uh, I'm a moron. Like one day they're going to find out I can't fix everything. Like a lot of what I can fix right now is just a fugazi, like fucking coin tricks and shit like when my kids get old enough and i'm hoping it'll be in their 20s and they're like 
he knew nothing. And I'll be like, yeah, buddy, the whole fucking time. Spike also stopped. Dr. Venture's escaping. Meanwhile, the Hall of Sorrows, Thoth wakes up a sleeping Brock, Hank and Dean. He asks who broke the hall. Brock refused to answer. What was supposed to happen was that the walls were supposed to close in and then hot oil was going to come out of the jackal's mouth. Uh, the jackal is the hole that Dr. Venture escaped through. The believer with Thoth informs him that he thought he said voil, not oil. Voil is a sheer fabric and some was warmed in the dryer for just such an occasion. Thoth sends the believer away angrily and then sneezes on the inside of his mask. Yuck. Brock punches out Thoth. Back at Venture Industries, Dr. Orpheus finds Dr. Venture. They converse briefly before getting into a magic versus science argument of epic proportions, right? Uh, Dr. Venture, of course. Either way, I'm just not impressed with your tricks. Tricks? How dare you? With just a thought, I could rise into the air. Or you could put on these anti-gravity boots. I could incinerate this entire lab, make you believe that you're a very special episode of Blossom and shoot lightning from my hands. Oh, laser ray, mind control helmet, Tesla coil, anything else? Dr. Orpheus makes fire from his hands. Dr. Venture lights a match dramatically and blows it out. That is possibly the most arrogant uh, moment. Any arrogant moment. You name the contest. <laughs> well, you know what this is. This is Battle of the Deus Ex Machinas. Yeah. Like, I mean, at, at the, the core, like, you know, uh, literary level. But I love the idea of how they display the idea. Or uh, I'm saying idea a lot. I loved how they display the concept of uh, science versus magic here. Um, and then when you bring super science into the category, was it uh, Isaac Asimov said, right? Good science is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, any sufficiently advanced technology there you go. is indistinguishable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, of course, this is where we get the contest that's setting up a big chunk of where we go from here, right? So Dr. Venture and Dr. Uh, sorry, Dr. V and Dr. O are like, all right, which is better, science versus magic? Uh, I feel like this is the most venture brother take on the classic paradigm of the struggle behind all of Western civilization, which is the Dionysian versus the Apollonian, right? Well, uh, and then it all boils down to the ego. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and and Freud is even there. They are going for it. So we've got them deciding that they're going to have a shrinking contest. Like, I'll meet you in the schoolyard at lunchtime. Made the smallest man is the biggest man, right? And, uh, of course, like, fine. Eight o'clock tomorrow, right here, smallest man is the biggest man. Orpheus is like, fine, good day, sir. And then Orpheus is like, and I wouldn't bother looking for that shrink where your father built. You sold it to the albino and his tiny companion. Ta-ta! <laughs> direct reference to tag sale you're it yeah and the dr venture's response is classic dr v crap so we're back at the pyramid brock and hank are searching for dean turns out he's been decapitated but his head is still able to talk brock says what happened hank's like yeah clarissa explain it all uh oh well no no and we we kind of we glossed over this he's decapitated and this is the punchline to a joke later like earlier on where uh one of the more devout followers is threatening to threatening to to chop up the boys 
and he's like, you know, give me the hand of Osiris or I'll kill your sons. And then Venture's like, give me head. You did not just say that. Oh, I did. I'm going to kill your son. Like, yeah, whatever. Get in line. And uh, this is, of course, after like, you know, this is season two, uh, you know, episode four. So we've had that reveal now. Um, so now it's just a, a punchline. Yeah, everybody fucking kills my kids. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you want a badge? Yeah. Like, what, what do you want? Your I, your I killed the Venture Brothers sticker and your I killed the Venture Brothers pin? <laughs> I wonder how many of those like Monarch gets accidentally. Like, yeah, I wonder if he, how many times he's accidentally. How many of those sets of twins, the 14 that we've seen, are, are like, you know, Monarch, like, rounding out some numbers, incidentally. I'm willing to bet the Monarch has killed fewer of them than they have killed of themselves. Well, yeah. The greatest killer of the boys is the boys themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> death-proof kids, you keep a couple of clone slugs in the basement. So, um, the, uh, Clarissa explained it all. Uh, Dean says, that guy with the bird head, he has this mummy army, and one of the mummies has a magic scepter. Don't move, Hank, he's right behind you. What? Hank spins around. There's indeed a mummy with a scepter behind him. Oh, yeah, that's just Mummy Mum Muggy. He's a good mummy, Dino, right? Muggy friend. Muggy, like, his chin rubbed, and Hank's, like, scratching him under the chin. Okay, I couldn't find this. Was this a reference to something that I'm missing? I could not find Mummy Mum Mug. I couldn't no, no, find it, him it, anymore. It's, it's literally just, like, uh, imagine every adventure movie where they find a stray dog. The dog's just, in this case, the dog's a mummy. Oh, gotcha. or like, yeah, this is, uh, uh, oh, it's a Goonies, uh. Oh, how, like, the creepy weird thing ends up being your friend? Yes. And that is, like, they're just, okay, they're, okay, gotcha. Oh, I was go. wondering if there was particular, it's... like, it just sounded so on point, mummy, mum, like, it just, it rang so perfect. I was no, like, that, damn, that's, that's gotta be an exact. That's Hank being Hank. Like, this yeah. is why we don't let Hank make up the names yeah. of things. It's Hank being Hank with the sloth of Thoth. <laughs> so brock's like hank get your brother's head and follow me there has to be a way out of here hank's like muggy might know where's the exit tell us boy <laughs> hank rubs his chin again but his head falls off brock's like this is getting stupid where the hell is your father that was the moment when the head fell off that made him so sad the way that it was animated and just sort of cracked off and fell yeah. behind he wanted a way more dramatic thing yeah. I, I always like finding out those little moments that just make the the creators go like, oh, we could have, we should have fixed that. So those little yeah. moments make you happy as a villain. So we're back at the compound. By the way, just a reminder, Dr. V's family is in trouble. <laughs> and what is he doing? <laughs> like, Dr. V's family is in trouble. But what's he doing? Dr. O is practicing shrinking himself. He enters another spell, but he ends up shrinking his desk and his books. Not quite what he wanted. Billy and Pete enter their trailer to find that it's been trashed. Clear evidence of an arching. And look, the scoundrel is still here. Billy tells Coulter to show himself or be blasted with his laser hand. The nemesis reveals himself to be Dr. Venture. Then we get to our commercial. So what is Dr. V doing? Well, uh, first off, uh, I want to address that while uh you know dr o is practicing shrinking himself and he accidentally does the desk this also speaks to him as as a father he's a pretty considerate dad you know he's like oh pumpkin do you have that dollhouse Mima gave you <laughs> like <laughs> he's putting you know, this very nice like wooden uh you know 
looked like some sort of uh, copy of the Resolute Desk type thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, clearly, uh, Dr. V uh, is uh, rifling through looking for that damn laser he sold. Um, and, right. and me and Villain were talking right. about this. Like, This is one of our favorite lines from the, the whole thing. Uh, is when they burst into the room and he's like bad news billy we've been arched and like billy like announced to the room is like oh they've come here to steal our uh you know good ideas you know jokes on you we have none (laughs) (laughs) uh and and then just since we are doing the doctor o'block i do want to round back onto his thing and I, i really do appreciate this from him as a character he was allowed to name the terms of their uh whether it's shrinking or this or that he got to call shrinking he could have called something he could do as a vegas guy i want to stack the deck in my favor i would have called something i knew i could do but he gave himself a legitimate challenge which i was always just sort of like really dude like you ended up like not spoilers for the end you can't do it like i would have i would have made sure i could have beat the guy but he's so honest that he wanted to make sure that it was a legit challenge for both of them. He knew that he didn't have the shrink ray, so he would have to come up with it on his own. And he didn't know how to shrink himself, so he'd have to figure it out himself. That's a very honest move. Um, something you would expect from someone who's also a great dad. Well, also, you say, like, as a Vegas guy, as if you weren't rooting for the magician. Right. It's true that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple magic acts in town. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I appreciate, you know, we talked about the, the few very competent characters that exist throughout the Ventureverse. Dr. O is one of the best and one of the most competent. He's good at being a dad. He's good at being a magician. He was probably good at being a husband too, but the kind of guy that you're just not excited about. Because even though Dr. O is one of the most competent people in the entire show, people don't like calling on him. Even his friends don't like calling on him. In some regard, it's almost like that, okay, I give up, I'm stuck. Like, they're the person you don't, like, when you went out to the club and you tried to hook up, but you didn't get where you were going, so you end up back at your ex-girlfriend's house because you know she'll take you back any day of the week. Well, see, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I relate to Dr. O on that level. Like... Uh, good guy. Pretty decent. Uh, pretty annoying to be around. <laughs> Everybody's like, nah, mm, I get that. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of it is clearly, like, in his his dramaticism. Although he's not, to, to him, he's not being dramatic. Like, that's his perception of the universe. But again, like, being at a party with that guy is not a good time. Uh-huh. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> and not necessarily a critique on Dr. O, but more actually Stephen Rattazzi. I feel like this is one of the most like accented in the Dr. O flair. Uh, all of his lines in this episode are so perfectly hitting that, oh, like only Dr. O can hit. And I was just listening to it. And I was all like, you know, because we've been looking through for a couple other ones for Dr. O and I've been kind of, concentrating my my venture watching on him lately and i'm like he is nailing like i feel like someone might have told him to tone it back a little bit the the dr onus of the deliveries but i'm i'm loving this episode's just really fucking gung-ho 
just really built into it. Because um, I did probably Man. a few rewatches through before this. I was just like, yes, this is how all lines should be read for him. Well, and I'm noticing, like, uh, my my impression of Dr. O has changed. Like, when I first, uh, my first impression of the character was, like, he's funny because he's over the top. And then, to me, like, now the funniest parts are in the juxtaposition. Like, when he does all the over-the-top shit, and then he's like, you know... Uh, pumpkin, do you have that uh, dollhouse Mima gave you? Or there's a pudding in the fridge. You may avail yourself to the contents of one. Yeah, like <laughs> it's it's in those like uh, slightly minor lines where uh, he, he's he's getting the venture of it all. You know, as we say, it's like he's he's doing the mundane thing in the most venture way possible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, isn't that the part of the like? Isn't that the thing that makes both the Venture Brothers? and the tick and any of these others like the boys to some regard it takes these fantastic elements and really showcases the minutiae between them and in many regards like that's that's what the entire show is predicated on it's the stuff after all the adventuring it's the stuff in between the magic it's doing laundry and trying to get the blood stains out well, man, you know, uh, we were talking about it the other day, like, you know, I was talking about the underrated uh, cultural impact of, of Douglas Adams. The Vogons, man. Yeah. This is the, the Vogons. This is Voganity, like, you know, uh, humorously, like, you know, boring but exotic bureaucracy. Uh, I mean, it, it's uh, what makes the office, like, you know, great in, in separate proportions, right? Like the office was phenomenal because it's this mundane setting where like in a moment, like something that is absolutely like relatively normal just stops being fucking abnormal and goes like full on waiting for Godot weird and and abstract in a lot of ways. Like why does Dwight even have a gun? <laughs> you know, things like that. Um Fire. <laughs> right like his fire drill and on principle i don't disagree with him so i'm i'm kind of awful like that but anyway they were um, listening. <laughs> but yeah no uh philip k dick really understood i feel like the dick. <laughs> philip k dick i think really understood the the uh, place of humanity and it's and it's kind of changing you know status and and how things are going to be changed with technology and then you know you got huxley who really kind of you know told us a lot about how information right like is going to to inundate us and and and, you know you're not sure what's going to be propaganda what's not and then you got your pharmaceuticals right and like uh you know orwell has his telescreens really like douglas adams has his like you know uh, the mundane of evil, mundane absurdity of like you know every day. Like every day can be extraordinary, uh, in the most like benign ways. I, uh, I gotta tell you, man. I feel like that right there is a T-shirt. Like every day can be the best day of your life. Every day can be extraordinary if you're drunk enough. 
<laughs> oh man, I woke up this morning and uh, they were doing like some hardcore construction on the corner outside of my house. And uh, like I'm making coffee and I'm just drinking and like Audrey comes up. She's like, what's going on? I was like, uh, apparently they're building a bypass. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to stop it, but uh, I had to, I got turned away by the sign that said, beware of leopard. Right. <laughs> so back at the compound, um, we've got, uh, I'm sorry, with Dr. Venture, we're, we're at, we're with Billy, the quiz boy and Pete White. Dr. Venture has been revealed to be the culprit. He tells them that he only broke into the shrink ray back so he could beat Orpheus at their bet. Billy finds the shrinkway, but it's in pieces in a paper bag. Dr. Venture hires Billy and Pete tells him to help him fix the shrink ray. Beating Dr. O is just that important. And his family is in trouble. And we are back wherever, where Brock has Edgar Allan Poe in a headlock. Wait, Brock wait, finally wait, wait, gets. Wait. Why did he break the gun? <laughs> well no like you say that but then other episodes justify exactly why he broke the gun (laughs) i mean i would have thought there was a treasure map in there too but you know (laughs) (laughs) so uh, brock has an ed grampo in a headlock Brock finally gets Poe to tell him where the hand is a uh, hand of Osiris is hidden below the floorboards in the basement, uh, which is a callback to what? The Telltale Heart. That's right. Uh, oh, and uh, what I love about it, he's stabbing his like bulging forearm with this like weenie quill pen, like, <laughs> eh, eh. <laughs> and you just see like these little peck marks, and Brock's just choking him. Brock's like, I gotta admit, I always wanted to get Edgar Allan Poe in a headlock. That thing's like a pumpkin. I, I gotta tell you, that line did not fit for me because Brock does not seem like the kind of guy who would look at historical photographs of like early American authors. Like, I can see, like, uh, you know, uh, Tyler Durden, right? Any character in history, who would you wanna fight? Abe Lincoln, right? Right. That guy, you know, skinny guys fight to the burger. Okay? I get that. That makes sense to me. Brock being like, I always wanted to get Ed Allan Poe in a headlock. That's such a, like, what was the cheapo version of Magnum P.I.? Like, whatever the knockoff version of Magnum P.I. was, that's what that felt like. You know what, man? I actually, I bought it. Because it's one of those things, like, this is a generic high school thing. And mind you, high school is the time when he had like a full mustache and murdered a dude. <laughs> deaf guy. And murdered a deaf guy. <laughs> murdered a deaf guy in, in like a, you know, a, what I assume is like quadruple A high school football. Uh, but, you know, like I, I feel like it's one of those, he just saw a picture of Edgar Allan Poe and was like, the dude's got a huge looking head. Like I would like it. And, and that's just something that stuck with him. It wasn't like a, I don't know, it wasn't like a Daniel O'Brien, like, you know, how to win a fight versus presidents type thing. You know, he wasn't really like doing the analysis. I think he accidentally saw the back of a book in school one time and he was like, that dude's got a huge melon. Look at that thing. You know how Brock huge. Go cry yourself to sleep on your huge pillow. That boy's (laughs) head's like Sputnik, spherical, but quite pointy in places. 
Right. I mean, and and uh, you know how Brock is. Like he just kind of zones out and does whatever the hell he's doing. Like, well, whatever the hell he just did may have completely screwed up that guy's life, according to Hank. He's like, "Yo, do you think we messed up the past?" (laughs) Dean's like, as he's being held by headless muggy, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. there ladies have you ever been in the field and felt the need to yield to a panty shield not me i'm amber gold osi super agent and full-time woman new from voop comes menstruation munitions the only tampon with both civilian and military applicators guaranteed to hold a full quart of aunt flo's bloody mary mix Hey, babe, could you reach in my pack and grab me one of those boop menstruation munitions? Uh, seriously, babe? On the rag in the field? Uh, fine. Here. Is this one of them? I, I, I don't know where anything is in your purse, lady. Just take take this. No, babe. I need one of the 12, babe. It's a heavy blow off. Oh, come on. This is why I never do... Missions with women in the woods. Bears. Voop comes in a variety of calibers made for any size chamber. And because they're made by Voop, they're ribbed for her pleasure. And bear proof. Find all new Voop menstruation munitions at your local gun store, trade show, pawn shop, flea market, Underland, Hanko, or Texas. Thanks to Voop, I've got menstruation munitions ready to lock and load. Now I'm ready to send my enemies to hell on a river of blood. Theirs, not mine. Mm. Gross. Back at the compound, Dr. O is in Triana's room. He opens her closet to reveal it's really some kind of crazy gateway. Triana walks in. Triana, I knew it! Pumpkin, what are you doing in your room? (laughs) Shouldn't you be not in your room <laughs> now uh, just the setup here is really good uh triana's like my whole life i've been afraid of that closet there's always weird lights and something smells like a burning band-aid and dr it's like brimstone okay fine port hole into the burning nowhere you got me <laughs> right dad i'm going crazy i mean i'm still afraid of the closet i wear the same thing every day because of that closet that right there is one of my favorite moments in this episode because that explains so much about everything you've ever noticed about animations or sitcoms. Like characters are wearing the same clothes. Why are they wearing the same clothes? She's doing it on purpose. Well, okay. And uh, this is a good, good moment, like good dad moment. Let me ask you a question. As, as a clone farmer yourself there, uh, if you were ever uh, confronted red-handedly with the Santa paradox, right? Like Now what you can't see is one of the Haas has entered the room behind Savage. Aha. See? And there it is. This is exactly what that is, and this man just owned up to it. Like, if this is his version of that. Uh, now, granted, he has 
mind control like wiping powers and that is also why he's my favorite dad because i'm jealous is by at the end of this scene he could just grab her by both sides of the head and sleep uh i am some days by the end of it wish i could grab my kids by the side of their head and shout sleep in a very different manner but i don't because i stopped being a nanny in the early 2000s when you're talking about getting caught red-handed there are a variety of things that you as an adult are comfortable doing that you do not want your children to find you doing whether it is uh wrapping birthday presents or christmas presents right like you know to put under the tree or if you and your favorite companion are in flagrante delecto and or let's just say that you are doing something about which you have no qualms as long as you're not in full view and as a parent that's kind of how they set this one up right like the initial kind of the way they're playing it is like she just caught him in the middle of something he shouldn't have been doing and in dr o's case it's accessing the portal to the uh what was it burning uh, nowhere. the burning nowhere <laughs> right um and she's like you know i uh, how was i to know come now archie and his indolent companion jughead wear the same clothes every day i thought it was an adolescent phase of yours she's like great my closet is a door to hell dodorvis corrects her the necropolis a porthole to the necropolis it had to be on the south side of the apartment since you had to have a private bathroom oh this is never and then grabs her by the head sleep now he was doing such a good job dadding and then he just pulled that cord he was i mean like here's the thing uh he also understands maybe uh like i want this might be a hard pitch Maybe he remembers that the ventures are in danger and he needs to be the one like to prioritize that. Um, I, and it's interesting to me that, again, with him being one of the more competent characters, he hasn't just called it yet. Like, does he? I, I can only presume that he assumes they're fine if Dr. V is back. Because what kind of person would leave your family in danger? I mean, it is fairly early on in their relationship as landlord and uh, uh, renter. Tenant. Uh, tenant, there you go. Um, call him David. Landlord and David. I mean, he still even refer, calls him, this is your landlord. Like, they're not even seeming to be quite... Uh, yeah, they're not friends yet. They're not, I mean, as much as they're going to become <laughs> friends. Uh, Dude, and how, I like... Uh, I am Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, well, I am Landlord. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe at this point he doesn't know how terrible of a dad he is, so maybe that's where the assumption comes from. He clearly doesn't. And of course, like, Dr. O kind of pulling the parachute here is not him being a bad dad. He's just taking the quick way out. Yeah. And he's like, he informs his daughter that she's going to forget everything. He then enters the closet. So back at the lab, Dr. B, Pete, and Billy are burning the midnight oil, so to speak. Uh, they appear to be working, but instead they're filling out a list of guilty pleasures. <laughs> Pete has Rhea Perlman, 
Dr. Venture has Joyce DeWitt and the mom from Die Hard. Billy has oiled garbage bag, sweat sock, melon heated in a microwave, dust buster with corner attachment. Solid list. I mean, I might have rearranged mine, but that's about right. So. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, I mean, my list probably would have started with, like, gas station pastry. So, I, I feel like we should pause here for a moment <laughs> to kind of run down uh, some of the some of the things that are listed here. All right. Um, Pete has Rhea Perlman. Do, and do you guys know who she is? Oh yeah, Rhea Perlman was on Cheers. Yeah, she is married to uh, uh um Danny fucking, uh, Yes. Uh, they did, uh, was that's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and they uh I I remember that cuz Matilda uh was I think uh one of the first projects they did together as a married couple. Yeah. Um, like behind the camera and stuff. Um Dr. Venture has Joyce DeWitt. Joyce DeWitt was the brunette from Three's Company and the mom from Die Hard. Okay. Um, AKA Bruce Willis's wife in Die Hard. Um, Billy has oiled garbage bag, sweat sock, melon heated in a microwave, and dust buster with a corner attachment. Uh, What are things you can find on my bedside table? Uh. (laughs) Like, it's just, I, I, I feel like Billy again is always the guy who is a hundred percent all in, even when everybody else is kidding. Uh, I thought that this was a clever critique of Bonnie Bedelia's acting. Hey, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, she, she did a lovely job in, in uh, Die Hard, which is my favorite Christmas movie, but uh, yeah, in terms of like guilty pleasures, uh. He, he definitely took that to a uh, left-handed field, so to speak. Yeah, the stranger. <laughs> well, I mean, he's got that mechanical hand. He does. He does. Uh, Dr. Happened. Orpheus. So it, it suffice to say they're supposed to be doing work, but they're screwing around. Dr. Orpheus goes into the necropolis in search of his master. Sitting on the throne is a three-headed dog, Kerberos. Orpheus shoots a fireball at the dog who whippers and informs Orpheus how much it hurts. Oops, that was the master. Look, Orpheus, I know why you're here, and I chose the form of Argos, which is an interesting, like, I like Argos, okay, to teach you a lesson. Orpheus says, don't you mean Kerberos? Correct me if I'm wrong, but Argos was Ulysses' dog. He only had one head. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting that uh, he went with Ulysses, which is the Roman version of the name Odysseus, instead of the Greek name, whereas both Orpheus, Kerberos, and Argos are Greek names. So, but I, I digress. Uh, the master's like, see, see, there you go. Right there. That's what I'm talking about. You're a know-it-all. No one likes a, did I just do that too? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I saw you building that, like that tea. And I was like, let him go. <laughs> so uh, the dog head on the right starts licking the master's crotch. The master's like, hold on a sec. And Dr. Orpheus drops a line from Socrates here by saying, I only know that I know nothing. <laughs> the master says, way to quote something I said like a year ago. 
but I'm serious. Hold on. The other head likes to clean my genitals with his mouth. I know it sounds weird, but I let him do it because it feels great. The problem is that I can taste it. <laughs> so I taste my own genitals in my mouth. It's a conundrum. Oh. Orvis questions what this has to do with anything. The masterminds Orvis said his wife left him because he was working too much, saving the world from a secret barrel, and didn't spend enough time with her. She left him because he's a wuss. Uh, back wherever the Egyptians have captured Dr. Venture in snorkel gear and Dean with his head, and Hank observes from above the action with Brock and company. He's been captured too. Brock asks what year Hank set the time machine to. Hank claims 1230 AD, but apparently set it to 1230 AM. Edgar Allan Poe gets his melon stuck in the pillars that everyone's peeking out through. At the lab, Dr. Venture, Billy and Pete test the shrunk shrink ray out on Helper. Time for a human test subject. Pete can't go because he's an albino. He's like, he can even get to visit the beach without exploding. Dr. Venture can't because those boys need me. Remind me where they are again. Uh, and it's down to Billy. Billy sadly reveals he's still a virgin, which actually makes him a prime candidate since he has nothing to lose. <laughs> Billy and how did he say it? No, what's, what's the phrase? Get on the target virgin. Can we talk about the weirdness of Dr. Venture in snorkel gear? Like when, it, it, like just the, the whole thing, like it's just, it, they're not even trying at this point. It's just meant to be confusing, and it works. Well, and uh, like the, uh, and, and they go with like uh, such interesting language. Like it's one of my favorite Billy moments. He's like, "I've never slept in the shade of love's bow." He's like, "What? <laughs> You've never done what?" And of course, like you know, uh, that's that you know is a little bit on the the. You know, it kind of juxtaposes like you know Poe being in the episode and always like Brock saying something dumb when he's in frame. Well, is it, um, I never tasted the fruit of a woman's flower. Yeah, I don't take many trips south of the border either. But, like... <laughs> oh, dude! And one of my favorite Pete White lines. Yeah, you want me to take it out back and shrink some cans for practice? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, like, I mean, you want to make somebody angry with, like, a weapon? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to take that out back and, and practice on some cans? <laughs> uh, don't say that too close to Billy. Got to warm him up in the microwave first. Uh, over the master's joint, the master tells Dr. O that his daughter probably doesn't respect him since Dr. Venture treats him like dirt and he lets her stay out all night partying. Dr. O is convinced his daughter doesn't drink, though, of course. Back at the lab, Pete shoots Billy with a shrink ray. At first, it appears nothing happened, but then Billy informs him that they shrunk his lungs and he can barely breathe. <laughs> Dr. Venture decides then to fart. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> and I love that, like, this is the, your laughter here. This is genuine frat guy laugh. Like, if Savage were in the room with this, you're like, oh, nice. <laughs> I just, dude, it's. <laughs> I, I know this. Like, it, yes, that's the kind of thing my brother would do too. Uh, so we're back at the pyramid where, or wherever. Brock and his ragtag team of people are about to charge it <laughs> themselves. Hank, you and Caligula keep up the rear. Caligula hugs Hank very creepily. On second thought, you and Freud should do it. Caligula, you take the second wave alone. Ready, Dean? And Dean's head is on Muggy's body, riding the. Oh, we didn't talk about the perfect man all that much so the well and uh, 
Oh yeah, I, I was hoping because the perfect man is one of those weird like uh, cliches, like you know that's coming. Yeah, Joe and Cobra, they did it. Like yeah. it's been done a whole bunch. Well, and I just love the idea. Like uh, this is this is the Ubermensch. Yeah. Yeah, and like sucking his perfect foot. <laughs> is he still doing that? Like he was doing, he was still doing that an hour ago. Uh, and I totally would have loved if, like, oh, d- fresh baked. Like if Doctor, like you know, V could have, uh, you know, kind of related in that moment. Like, oh yeah, no, he's still fresh baked, huh? <laughs> Speaking of fresh baked, what do you got, Vod? Um, I mean. <laughs> Um, (laughs) for the perfect man actually I didn't have much that was one of the things I kind of wanted to look a little bit more into before we got on on this one Um, I had only run into it really through here this was actually the one real big reference I was kind of hoping to actually get a little bit of a backstory on Um, my entire I I feel like the 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 perfect man is something I've lived with my entire life but it's only because the show's been on or this episode was so old I've seen it so many times that it feels canonical to the zeitgeist but I have no actual reference where it is but uh needless to say (laughs) this is (laughs) I totally like thought for a second I was going to take a whole different direction like yeah no 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 I mean (laughs) I'm used to the perfect man my whole life because that's me. That's that's just who no. I am. No. no, vanity, no. I will not go down uh, that road. Like, no, you don't understand. I'm the perfect blend of uh, invulnerable and exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how perfect that blend was. Half of me would have been dead for the last few seasons. So, it's um... a long-standing conceit. You've seen it a ton of different places. Uh, you know, one of the ones that I remember most famously was G.I. Joe versus Cobra, the entire Serpentor thing, where mm-hmm. like for an entire season, G.I. Joe is chasing Cobra around the globe as Cobra is gathering up the DNA of Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, like all these great generals and leaders from around the world. Like you get to go to all these places. And then, of course, they create Serpentor, right? Okay. And like it's this plot device, uh, you you know, uh, like the Ubermensch, like oh, we're going to like get, be done with all human frailty, like Adam Warlock in the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah, like, yeah. okay. Perfect creature, like it is a long-standing trope that we are going to, through science or magic, essentially eliminate weakness and through perfection. Uh, and it, it was in Conan the Barbarian. Right? Do you remember the where, where they had the bolero scene? Like, oh, this perfect, beautiful god. It turns out to be this horrifying creature. <laughs> oh, dude, and, okay, uh, so I, I always thought it was a specific reference to like some old movie or something like that, where they literally had a character who looked exactly like that. I didn't, I didn't look at it past that term of a uh, a reference. But I mean, if you're going to go the full, um, I mean, creating the perfect person or. Uh, that type style i mean i don't think it's any coincidence that for the creators of the venture brothers the perfect man also has a mullet <laughs> no and uh it, i don't think it's technically a mullet that's, that's a straight bowl cut like that's a prince adam um okay. but like no uh also i mean uh this kind of goes back to a uh a, a nietzsche reference nietzsche um, and uh, that pops up every so often in the show. Uh, and I think that's really, I, I like, 
you know what? I was going to say, I think it's more of a Doc Hammer thing, but if I'm being honest with you, I can't quite put a finger on that one in terms of where that, that influence comes from. Cause I can see Jackson public being super philosophical, but then uh, Nietzsche did live in that like time period that, uh, you know, uh, Doc Hammer is so fascinated with when this he's bringing out guys like Dark. Oscar Wilde and, and Edgar Allan Poe and shit like that. Um, so, no, I mean, it, it's definitely kind of one of those, like, it has a weird cultural precedent in pop culture, but it's also a broader, you know, trope in, in the zeitgeist. Uh, I mean, it existed before Nietzsche. Nietzsche just kind of put the finger on it, you know what I mean? Um, well, and of course, idealized it. forms are part of what has been at the heart of all artistic endeavor, right? You see it from the Venus of Willendorf to the paintings on the cave walls of Lescaux to the like sculptures, the marbles of, uh, uh, you know, fifth century Athens. You see it throughout. You see it in paintings, this obsession with perfect form, the platonic form of man. And what happens in this era, when you create the platonic form of man, he's a baby in a grown-up's body. Of course he's going to suck his feet. Like, ooh, feet, I bet this fits in my mouth. And it just so happens, the perfect man, you can ride him like a dog. And Brock's You know what? I don't think that he's a baby. I think, a la uh, a prior recording, that he's just on ecstasy. <laughs> right everything's fine and fun well brock's giving the order so when the gates open poe and me and then another brock this one in snorkel gear steps into frame you got that brock number two is like you're gonna kill him when he shows up aren't you brock says oh you know it at which point brock and brock two yell charge i am i am almost a hundred and ninety eight percent million sure uh, especially because it's not confirmed and the show's over, that we have just been introduced to Scare Bear. Oh. Because the one defining characteristic Scare Bear has outside of, the, outside of being huge and the bloody bear suit, which gets another reference later. We'll point that out. Um, he's carrying a what? Oh. What? Yeah. And it's the exact same big ass what kind of Bowie knife that like our favorite, you know, corner Winnebago Swedish murder machine. Wow. Has. Yeah. And he's wow. very protective of the boys. You just blew my mind. Hats off, dickhead. Did you come up with this? Or did uh, you find this? Because this is brilliant. At this point, like the the theorizing on Scare Bear has has uh, I've been doing it for so long and so intensely, and now it's a recurring uh, segment for Venture Sisters. Uh, you know, since I'm, I'm doing some some producing over there, um, I don't know, but I'm going to be honest with you. There's no way that this is an original idea. Like you know, this is one of those mandala effect ideas where I think a hundred, a thousand people had the same idea at the same time. 
But like when you line it all up and you're like the knife, the protectiveness, the size. But we don't I, know why I, he's quiet. I always felt like Scarebear was skinnier. His shoulders weren't as broad as Brock's. That's just because it's saggy. It's not a bespoke Scarebear costume. <laughs> it's not a bespoke. <laughs> okay, I'll buy that. He's got some shoulder pads put into it. So, oh, dude, no! It's fucking. It. It's the prestige. It's Scarebear. Huh. Yeah, Scarebear is when the Brocks switch out. Two Brocks. One life. <laughs> Two Brocks enter, one Brock leaves. So, yeah, because they never talk about, like, maybe that's in part three. So, yeah. Maybe. So, back at the lab, Pete, Dr. Venture, and Billy continue with their shrink ray. Billy's like, what happened? Uh, we shrank your head only. I told you we should have mounted it. Billy's like, hey, nice shot, William Burroughs. Uh, that is a <laughs> reference to uh, the... Um, beat poet and writer William S. Burroughs. Uh, his grandfather actually invented the Burroughs typing machine. Um, he is uh, the one who got most into hard drugs and the one who outlived all the rest of them. Uh, William S. Burroughs uh, wrote Naked Lunch and Soft Machine. Uh, the reference here in particular is to the fact that William S. Burroughs and his wife went to Mexico in, in Mexico City they were playing a William Tell prank and Burroughs killed his wife by accident. See, okay. I feel like if you're playing William Tell games, uh, you're not trying to shoot an apple. Uh, we also get this, you hold a gun like a guy that plays Riven. <laughs> so a little insight on this one, please. Oh, no, I'm actually teed up for, for a big one later. Like, I've been doing a lot, a lot of... So, uh, you, you guys remember Riven? Remember it, but not the... Time. It, it, it was barely on my register. I want to say I looked it up years ago to see what the joke was, but... So, Riven was the sequel to the game Mist, and Mist yeah. was a freaking revelation in gaming. Like, it was the only game of its, like, it, it was glorious. It took place in this very limited environment. You could explore the entire thing from the beginning. But it was legit a mystery that you got to solve. And it was gorgeously rendered. Like, it was one of those games where people were like, man, do you have, can you run Windows 3.14? Like, can you run Windows 95? Dude. Do you have like a Pentium? Like, whoa, you know, like, oh, geez, you can run this game. Look at those graphics. Holy smokes. It Mist was beautiful and Riven was the follow-up. Um, it was truly one of those like culture moments. But I mean, that's a random ass reference. <laughs> I mean, and, and I, it's the video game version of uh, pork chop sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, switch now, switch to reverse and fix me. White's like, White, are you even aiming? You want me to go into the backyard and shake some cans or something first? I've never done this before, you know. Fix me, put it in reverse and fix me. He reverses the gun and fires it at Billy. All right, Billy, you need to relax. Billy's like, nice, you shrank the whole room. 
which is like, wow, I gotta get a camera. He's like, you look like Tobey Maguire in a bad Hulk costume. It's it just he outgrows all of his clothes. It it he bursts through his socks. He's got the like elderly like middle aged paunch. It's it's sad. Uh, back in the master's crib, Orpheus is reflecting on how insignificant everyone is in relation to the cosmos, how they're nothing. The master tells him that he's ready, even if he does taste a little salty. <laughs> uh, now get the hell out of the closet and go win that incredibly gay contest. Back in the lab, Dr. Venture decides it's time to call it quits. Don't you realize that he was a good boy Venture, but he sucks at the super science thing? Uh, yeah. Billy leaves for a second. Dr. O enters and tells Dr. B that he wins because he cannot make himself any smaller. Dr. Venture tells Dr. O if he had waited, he would have won the gentleman, get it, gentleman's bet, since Dr. Venture was about to concede as well. Uh, Billy enters with a Rusty Venture lunchbox that he won off eBay. Dr. V is like, why do you have one of those? Dr. O says, can't you see Mr. Venture? You were the little boy man's hero. You were the reason I became a boy genius, says Billy. Pete's like, yeah, Rust, every kid wanted to be you. Yeah, I was pretty cool. That's me on the pterodactyl. Took him down myself. Yes, you were pretty cool. Let us retire to my sitting room. I shall whip up a batch of my famous rice pudding. They leave. Dr. Orpheus is like, I feel like I forgot to do something. Dr. V is like, oh my God, I forgot to turn off the lights. Not going back to save this family. Dr. V goes back in the lab, steps on a very tiny, tiny and about to be flattened helper. And the episode ends. He's as good of a dad as uh, Bill Cosby at this point. Like, <laughs> this guy's <is> just awful. <laughs> well, and of course, they give you the setup. There's like, uh, oh, I think we've got to do something. And Vince is like, oh, we forgot to turn off the lights. Like, redeeming moment, redeeming moment. Nope, no redemption for you. On the bright side, we then get a next week on the Venture Brothers with Hank shivering. I can't make it. I want to die. I want the cavemen to eat me. Brock's like, hang on, Hank. Cut him open. We're going to put the boy in there, which is, of course, a reference to empire empire brock number two nods and slices open a dead edgar Allan Poe. and what are they wearing the two brocks but they have on isn't it bear bear pelts yeah they're wearing bear skins so this is where it happens huh so this is like these are like that's my my two pieces of supporting evidence is uh uh, second Brock known to wear like you know bear pelts, uh, so would totally gut an entire grizzly. Uh, also, we've seen Brock change sizes. Brock did Fat Thor before Endgame. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, super glorious uh, mutton chops. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean there was a bunch of like. Uh, so many great references uh, in this episode, like the Blossom reference, because uh, I probably saw the very special episode they were talking about. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the one where Joey Lawrence cuts his hair. Um, the dangers of doing hallucinogens and then cutting your own hair. Yeah, no. And then I fell down, fell down this weird uh, rabbit hole. Um, Dr. Venture uh hits dr o with like a little zinger is like well uh what did you come up with kreskin 
Yeah, so I I, I uh, was like, who the hell? What what the hell's a Kreskin? And then I found out uh, what a Kreskin is. So he is a uh, stage magician, mentalist, and entertainer. Doesn't claim to be psychic, um, but if you've seen the movie The Great Buck Howard, um, that is kind of loosely based on him. Uh, the guy who uh, wrote the movie used to be his personal assistant. Um, and he is most famous for this routine. And uh, he would hide his paycheck in the audience, like have them hide it in the room without him being in the room. And if he didn't find it, he didn't get paid. And he's only like not found it like 10 times in his entire career. And he's 85 years old living in uh, New Jersey now. Wow. Um. He makes appearances on, like, Coast to Coast AM. Uh, like, yeah, really interesting kind of, uh, you know, cultural reference they make. Like, oh, man, they made a Night Gallery reference in one episode. <laughs> and then I found all the episodes of Night Gallery, which was, uh, the first three or four of them were crazy. It was interesting. Good old Rod Sterling, man. Uh, real quick. Uh, one of my favorite little notes about this episode is with the uh, the lunchbox. So uh, Jackson Public had a live journal, and somebody wrote, on the Rusty Vitrolux lunchbox, there's a picture of a blonde guy in a red shirt. Have we seen him before? I think it's clearly a, a throw a call out to Race Bannon, right? And the response from Jackson Public was, Billy owns a very rare and valuable misprint edition of the 1972 Rusty Venture Lux lunchbox featuring a miscolored Jonas Venture Sr. Only 1,200 of those were produced before the thermos company fixed the error. Like, I, I, I 100,000,000,000 props to Jackson Public. Now, is that like, uh, let's call that the Tarantino? Like, was that explanation sitting on the shelf in like an inch thick, like, you know, tome of, of things like, you know, that are and aren't canon. Or no, man, that's clearly that made up. Facto. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And, and something I definitely want to talk about is the, uh, the scenes between the master and, and Dr. O, because that's who we're here for, Dr. Yeah. O. Yeah. Um, and I love the metaphor for shrinking him. Like he broke down his ego, like he made him feel as small as he possibly could <laughs> like it's no oh, that's that's some clever humor there um with like making him feel tiny uh so the master in effect did his job uh but didn't like you know succeed in quote unquote shrinking his person but he shrunk his person you know i, I have often appreciated the way they treat the master and the thing that i appreciate the most about it is that you're taking someone who's clearly not doing a great job at this and having everyone take them really seriously i think in light of what's happening tomorrow that seems explicitly appropriate <laughs> well i mean uh at, at the risk of kind of like typecasting him that's kind of h john benjamin's bag yeah, that's the shit. So, okay, uh, home movies. So he's Coach McGurk. 
He yeah. is the head of a soccer, and he is not good at soccer. He's not good at coaching. All right. So then there's Archer. He's not really good at being a spy. He's accidentally good at being a spy, and he knows that he's accidentally good. He's got that like twenty one twenty four awareness of the situation. Yeah. Right. Uh, Bob's Burgers. Like he's the dad. His name's on the, the and he doesn't know a lot about like he's not great at running a business and you know I mean he's not like you know the best at being a dad. That's what this show's endearing. Um, so I mean this that's kind of H. John Benjamin's bread and butter, uh, and I love that like you know that's kind of the home he has in in Venture Brothers is like you know oh yeah like I'm I'm the ancient one, uh, but like I'm really bad at metaphors. So here's Catherine the Great. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I always felt like the master had been through so many rounds of just pupils that the, he, he was just tired. Like you always see the, 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 the ancient one as being someone who's like in tune to the game. And when they're, they reach their end, they die. And like, yeah, they were like always Yoda, like or the ancient one. Exactly. They're always as good as they always were right up until the end. But if you're truly like some immortal being living in the necropolis, like you're going to live long enough to become bored with this shit. Like <laughs> he's still there. He still has the title. He still does his job like on paper technically, but like, but he's really just having paying- fun with it. Yeah, it's like a fucking. If it's gonna be there, it's gonna be a fun hobby. I'm not taking the shit seriously anymore. Like yeah. I did that for a long time. I'm not not invested in the game like that anymore. Do my hours, do my community service, but I'm gonna enjoy myself while I'm here. It's like any employee after being somewhere at for like three or four years. Like you sort of, he, he's he's in his groove now. Uh, I'm knows, just knows how to clock in retirement hours. Mm, yep, <laughs> doing his bat wings. <laughs> he's he's here for the benefits like (laughs) yeah okay um i uh as we are kind of looking at dr orpheus throughout this episode dr orpheus always struck me as a very serious person do you feel like at like the character arc through this is him learning to take himself slightly less seriously uh no i mean to me uh this actually points out that like as as good and as earnest as he is he is still like falls to the same you know trap of of like you know uh ego as rusty um you know at the end of the day as different as they might be you know, they do have some weird common grounds. Like, yeah, they're parents. Uh, and, like, apparently, like, you know, they they can't put, like, petty shit down. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and you know what? You, you've been ragging on, on Venture the whole time about, like, abandoning his family. Number one, he's the family's probably safer without him there to incite violence against his family from the followers. Uh, And number two, they're in the hands of two Brock Sampsons. That's like the safest place in the fucking universe. Yes, it is. I I absolutely buy that. So where do we take this? Like, what do we take 
from this episode about Dr. O and why is this episode important to our understanding of Dr. O? He's a sincere dude. Um, and uh, he, he does take his job very seriously. And you know what? I get that maybe he shouldn't. I, I see what you're getting at with how he shouldn't take himself so seriously. But at the same time, like, uh, to me, this just kind of outlies or outlines rather uh, his his authenticity as a person. Like, he's really genuine. He's really sincere. And this isn't just for the sake of appearing to be sweet or appearing to be nice. Like, those are all just byproducts of his sincerity. Because, um, you know, it's like Vaud, uh, you know, pointed out, when he approaches this challenge, he did it earnestly. You know, he did it looking for a challenge that he knew was also going to be a challenge for his competitor. Um, you know, he he has a sense of honor. Uh, was it you? You know, uh, used to uh, you say back in the day, uh, honor is a gift you give yourself. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the few people that is like, you know, gifting himself honor every so often uh, in the ventureverse. He is an honorable dude. Very true. Well, then the other reason we were pulling this one uh, when we were looking at the outline for the Doctor O block was. Um, we had the natural progression of just the introduction of Dr. O with the last episode with uh, Eeny, Meeny, Miny Magic. And then um, with this one, you know, it, it's not very many episodes down the line, really. There's uh, a couple episodes we've covered that do a little bit of Dr. O stuff. Um, the Trial of the Monarch was another good one that came just a couple episodes after Eeny, Meeny. Um, but we're only, you know, maybe six, eight episodes away. So this was actually a really good one for kind of establishing the venture relationship with Dr. O and how they kind of do see each other and treat each other. And like the, the bit of, I, I was talking about earlier with the, the, the this is your landlord uh, in familiarity that they have that kind of basically from this point on goes away. Yeah. Um, we've, we've challenged each other. We've, uh, we've, we've exchanged gentlemen's essentially. Um, and from this point on, you really kind of do get to see what the relationship's going to look like going forward, um, what kind of man he is and everything like that, from personal to his effect on the whole venture universe, uh, really. I buy that. Do you think... You've bought a lot. What's that? Do you even have room for all the things you've bought? Yes. I stole them <laughs> at your house. <laughs> um do you think uh, that this, I, I really kind of feel like this is the episode where he becomes part of the team. Like he moved, like he's a very interesting side character at the beginning. This is the one where he becomes part of the team because he's engaging in the same silliness that everyone else is. I'm going to buy that too. Cause before this point, he could have just been the wacky neighbor who showed up barely never uh establish him in a couple episodes and then he's kind of gone forever um but after this point yeah he's sort of uh he's in the circle um yeah by that it it, it it was his initiation episode yeah well and this is also where they kind of found out that he worked like he worked well in this dynamic and 
you know, one of the things that we see often with the Venture Brothers is that they're just pairing people off. And the characters that we see get paired off most often involve Brock and the boys. And in this particular instance, they went the exact opposite. You see Brock and the boys get paired off with like Caligula and Freud and mummies and all this other crazy shit. But that's not really what this episode's about. This episode's about Doc being a bad father and Dr. Orpheus kind of trying to be a, a good person in a very imperfect and strange world. And what is it that happens to someone like that when they're kind of confronted with the uh, kind of crass badness of Dr. V? Or like, how does that kind of play out? And why do they work so well with each other, you know? and. That's definitely one of those things that kind of plays throughout this episode is watching Dr. O and Dr. V, uh, you know, kind of have at it along this much larger scope of trying to prove the science versus magic debate. And then both of them kind of coming to the same conclusion that neither of them are really as like, shouldn't really be having this debate. You know, neither of them are really <laughs> up for the challenge. Well, and uh, to, to give it some more context, like, uh, this is episode four, um, so, you know, uh, in season two. So, the beginning of this season is the episode where we see, uh, you know, him find out that the, the boys are clones and he's going through that process. And they have that, like, you know, kind of uh, preface debate, right? Like, uh you know, you say soul, I say hard drive, like, you know, or, or whatever, like, you know, they kind of have the, the rumblings of this to begin with, you know, uh, he's, <laughs> you know, uh, Dr. Venture has teleported himself, uh, you know, into a few different places in that episode. You too are trapped between worlds, like, um, and, and then really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, like, you know, uh, having them full on, like, have it out. Like, you know what? Like, we, we we talked about it, and I was stuck in a wall last time. Now, we're going to fucking science versus magic. Yeah. I'm tired. Are you tired? You want a sandwich? No crust? Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> and, no, I mean, I, I, I love that uh, there's a genuine progression there. Like, he didn't just show up. Um, be wacky and then have a place on the team like he had to go through some stuff like he watched the boys die like if that doesn't get you a spot on team venture i don't know what does i yes yeah that you don't it, not watching them die without being responsible for them dying gets you a spot in the team just simply killing them gets you your sticker and your pin pretty much i mean because Again, in, in how the universe is set up, that's, uh, you know, oh, I accidentally did my job right. <laughs> and we're like, I mean, and think about it. Whenever they do their job right, like whenever they do catch Venture, the Brock, you know, Brock and the boys are like, what? Why did you do that shit? Um, so it, it's, it's a weird world where when you do things right, uh, you are, in fact, chastised. And then when things go horribly wrong, you, you get like a little pin for it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with all of this being said, 
can you give us a little bit of a preview about what we can expect from next week's episode? Uh, next week, uh, we got into Fallen Arches. And this is where, you know, uh, like you said, we finally gotten through the the gums as it were like we've cut our teeth in dr o and he's gone from being like kooky neighbor and then like you know gone through some traumas gone through some challenges butted up some egos and now you know he's kind of uh, uh team venture honorarium and uh now you get to kind of learn more about him and what he you know kind of has going on on the side and you learn about his team and their struggle to fit into, like, you know, the, the arch villain world, um, you know, acquire themselves an arch villain. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite uh, parodies on the, th- on the show um, because it's actually a run at uh, Midnight Suns, <laughs> which was uh, one of my favorite, like, uh, comic teams, um, you know, with Blade, uh, Jefferson Twilight, like, meeting him. Uh, meeting the alchemist in earnest uh, in that episode, like Fallen Arches is peak Dr. O. And that's kind of the way we designed it. Like, you know, you would think you would want Dr. O leading up into Halloween, but we, we had that really killer 2124 block. So we wanted to give him his Halloween special. And now we're learning like why Dr. O, you know, is that guy who can also like, you know, uh, do light as a feather, stiff as a board, and simultaneously accidentally help, you know, resurrect zombies. Well, we will look forward to that as we explore our next episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. I'd like to thank all of you for coming out to join us wherever you are in the world. Here is to our 19th, 20th, and 21st countries that have experienced everything Conjectural Technologies has to offer. I am one of your co-hosts, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. I'm joined as always by our very own Baron Beast Lamode and our insert scenery joke here, resident dinners, denizen of dinner theater, the villain. And so before we wrap up, guys, is there anything that you'd like to say? Um, hmm. There's something, uh, there's always like a thing that you do at the end of the episode with the, the fingers. Oh, um, no, no, Peace. no, no, not that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, okay, then the Go Team Venture. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, thank you guys so much. And as always, Go, go Team Venture! Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Mode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Mode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pot and go team venture.
the thing with the finger sounds fun. <laughs> I think Wes Miss Vaughn about that. 